0: The video store i am sam mulberry today we are talking about the 1980 film raging bull so let's step into barrett fisher's video store barrett how you doing i'm doing well thanks sam barrett um this was a movie that um i hadn't seen probably in 10 years i'm trying to think i think i was in my old house uh when i watched this so that would have been before 2011 and that's the only time that i'd seen it um and my memory was kind of being blown away by it but also feeling like I really wish I had somebody smart to talk to about the movie. So I'm excited, you know, this 10, 15 years later to have somebody smart to talk to uh, about the movie. Um, To start with, what is your history with this film and maybe with Scorsese in general?
1: Yeah, I I saw the film when it first came out. um, And I mentioned this last week, I think it was, uh, I was living in Brunswick, Maine at the time, and there was a little art cinema in town. So it, it, it's a little bit like the for folks in the Twin Cities who know Trilon Cinema, that, that's kind mm-hmm. of what it was like. So that that was the, the, the scene, the, the, sc- the screen for me. So not a big screen, but at the same time a small space. And so uh, I'm trying to remember, I had seen, by that time, I had seen one of Scorsese's earlier films, um, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Uh, uh, I saw that mostly because I grew up on Chris Christopherson's music. And then of course he became an actor and we just, we saw Christopherson in Lone Star. Uh, and then I saw Mean Streets, which was kind of Scorsese's, uh, first, um, kind of gangster film. Uh, and, uh. And then I didn't see New York, New York, which he had made right before this. And New York, New York was kind of a flop. And that came out at a time when Scorsese himself was dealing with a significant drug problem. Oh, and of course, Taxi Driver after Mean Streets. So I saw a Taxi Driver. So yeah, I, I had seen most of what he'd done in, in the 70s um, by that time. Because one of the things that that
0: interests me uh, in reading about the production of this film was the, the degree to which... Uh, it wasn't a foregone conclusion this was going to be a great film and scorsese was concerned about you know this being his last film mm-hmm. And he you know um so i was sort of curious cuz i i mean i only know him you know in the by the late 80s i'm aware of who he is and you know this is like when um a movie like uh <laughs> why am i blanking on the name of the big mob movie he makes goodfellas like when well, goodfellas, goodfellas yeah, comes yeah, come out come yeah, like, like, you know, so he's yeah, so he's like deeply established. That's uh, you know post Cape Fear. Like he's he's sort of making lots of movies at this point. Um, so it's sort of crazy for me to listen to him in 1980, think like, oh, this might be the end for me. Like like who was Martin Scorsese in 1980?
1: Yeah, you know actually in, in 1980, De Niro would have been a would have been a bigger name. I mean, De Niro was just coming off The Deer Hunter before this, and uh, yeah, I think so. Since Scorsese, he took a big hit with New York, New York. Uh, it was it was a really significant flop um so yeah i I think he was really kind of struggling at this point in in his career plus as i said he had some personal issues at the same time
0: um so this is a movie that uh uh, we'll get this conversation out of the way at the beginning because this is probably an uninteresting conversation but this is this is a movie that um whenever you see when again lists are silly but whenever you see lists of like the uh the greatest sports movies of all time this movie always has to be reckoned with and there's always a the discussion of well is this a is this a sports movie is this even a boxing movie like like I what know. is this about because it's interesting Corsese says he's not really interested in sports he thought boxing was kind of boring so it's sort of interesting to say i'm going to i'm going to go all in on this movie where where boxing is a huge piece of it um, although it doesn't follow the arc of uh, it follows the the biopic arc, but not necessarily the sports movie arc um, in lots of ways. So so where do you situate this relative to sports movies? And then I want to think about it relative to movies about boxers, because that's sort of a uh, almost a different genre um, that sometimes overlaps with sports movies and sometimes doesn't. But boxing is a very cinematic sport because I think it's right. easy to explain and understand. It's you have two people fighting with each other and there's not there are rules but there it's not over overrun with rules so even internationally boxing would translate
1: yeah well i i think in a way sam i think the answer to um well the answer to both questions is kind of related i mean you know as, as a sports movie even though you know scorsese says it's not about boxing it has some of the most amazing boxing footage you know of any Film I can think of that focuses on boxing and uh, Thelma Schumacher, who is the uh, the editor, and uh, she was she's been Scorsese's editor for his entire career. Uh, she got the Academy Award for editing uh, for the, for this film. And so, if you think about it from, from from that perspective, I think it's a pretty it's a pretty great sports movie. You could you could ju- you could just take the boxing sequences and say, you know, this is this is really. Uh, incredible filmmaking with the boxing sequences. And that's, by the way, the aspect of the screenplay that uh, Paul Schrader was responsible for, where he came in and worked on the screenplay. That was uh, one of the elements he added. The other element, which we might talk about later, is he added Joey LaMotta uh, to the script as well.
0: Which blows me away to to read that, that that character wasn't a, a central
1: character. Yeah, because, because in, in LaMotta's own memoir, which he published in 1970 um, with his friend Peter Savage, um, a lot of the stuff that Joey LaMotta does in the film was thing, were things that he did with Peter Savage. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, Joey LaMotta ended up suing Scorsese in the studio over the, his depiction in the film, especially the scene where he uh, smashes uh, Salvi's head in the taxi cab uh, door. Um, the other part of your question, the question about this is a boxing movie. Um, I, I found a great quote on a, somebody's website saying, a great movie about boxing is really a great movie about humanity. Um, and that I think reflects what Scorsese is trying to do in the film. And so, um, I was kind of compiling a list of great boxing movies, and I would agree that they're boxing movies, but they're really about a humanity. Um, so something like uh, Cinderella man with Russell Crowe, um, million dollar baby, uh, you know, the, um, the Clint Eastwood film, uh, and, and, he, and even to a certain extent, you know, Rocky. Uh, which which kind of casts a long shadow over this film. I mean, Rocky's kind of started a series of boxing films in 1976, um, and then you know people sometimes forget that Daniel Day Lewis, one of our other great uh, method actors, along with De Niro, uh, that he did a, a boxing film as well called um, The Boxer uh, back in the uh, in, in the late 80s. So I think if I, if I think about really good boxing films, um, there, there, there's another one that. Doesn't make a lot of people's lists by Robert Ryan called The Setup, um, which doesn't have a lot of. This is from 1950s, so doesn't have a lot of uh, film footage in the ring. But it's about an actor that's, I um, uh, made about a boxer who has been uh, told to throw a fight. But that's a film that Scorsese actually used as an aside for The Aviator. Um, he had people watch that when he made The Aviator. It's also a durational realism film, a 90-minute film, 90-minute action.
0: Hmm. Um, so, so one of the things that I found interesting watching this, uh, and I'm going to be at times referring to a really great, um, essay review from 1980 by Pauline Kale. Um, and I have to say that, that Pauline Kale is a name that I know. And like people are, I mean, she is just brilliant. I have not read a lot of her. This is maybe one of the first things that I sat down and really read specifically. And I definitely want to read more after reading this. Um, she's, uh, Pretty brilliant and i don't always under even under like i need to really dig into okay what is she what is she saying here in, in in this thing now so her her review from 1980 is um is not a glowing uh a glowing review of this movie uh but what i found interesting is i loved the movie at the same time i feel like i agree with so much of the things that she says i just for me, it works, and for her, for her, it doesn't. And I think there's probably other arguments in there, like I said, that I want to dig into, um, and read a little bit more, and try to figure out, okay, what 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 is she getting at here? Um, but one thing that 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 I I I want to read a quote from her um, because because I think this gets at uh, maybe what this movie's trying to be about and what it's not trying to be about. Um, so she says, uh, Scorsese gives us exact te- details of the Bronx Italian neighborhood in the '40s. Everything is in sharp, realistic and lived in, but he doesn't give us specific insights into Lamada. Um and I don't again, th- there's a degree to which throughout this movie, and I don't think this is a negative of the movie, I kept sort of wondering, sort of what is what is his what are the things that motivate him? um because I mean, he's definitely I, I was trying to think of like, okay, words that I would use to describe him. Um, there's, there's obviously this kind of jealousy that he has. I mean, that runs throughout it all the time with his, with his wife and, and things like this. He's definitely appetitive in certain ways. I mean, we see this, um, especially uh, towards the end of his career. Um, he's what, what interested me is that in a typical sports movie, there is this goal that the person is going after. Usually, right? There's this culminates in a a big game or a championship or proving something to someone. Um, And we don't, because we don't get, and again, I think these are strengths of the movie because we don't get a lot of backstory. We show up in 19, I think in 1941, LaMotta's already in the ring. Like we don't, we, and we, they don't even talk much about whatever happened between 1922 and 1941 in his life. So it's not like we even have, uh, is there, are there father issues he's working with? Which, again, I think this is a strength of the movie. Um, but what's interesting is, is for a while, it feels like what, what this is about is this guy who wants to do it his own way and wants to get the, the shot at a championship. And it's like, and then about halfway through the movie, he gets a shot at a championship and it's interesting how he gets there. And then I feel like that comes and goes. and. Um, and it so it doesn't seem like well that wasn't the thing that was motivating him necessarily so i actually found it really interesting that it it was this was not building towards that and even even that thing that tends to be the the culminating piece of a sports movie almost happens in it like really happens really quickly and gets over with quickly in this movie which i found really interesting um so so i guess like like when you think about uh the, the, the word that um Scorsese used to describe Lamata is elemental. Uh, and maybe maybe it's a part of this is unpacking that word. Like what is he trying to maybe tell us about Jake Lamata in this movie? Or what is Jake Lamata trying to tell us or De Niro trying to tell us?
1: Well, I think I think el- el- elemental is a good word. I think lamata is driven by forces that um he doesn't fully understand himself. And I think that any Attempt even within the film to kind of rationalize why he behaves the way he does doesn't work um, So for example uh, at one point uh, Joey tells Vicky that you know The reason why Jake is behaving the way he is is because he's just so um, He's so concerned about getting a shot at the championship and once he wins the belt everything's gonna be okay
0: I loved that. That I loved that moment because it because I knew that that wasn't true when he said like, and it was just like I, I loved it because because it it feels like he's giving you this this thing. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So 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 the minute you as a viewer instinctively register that or immediately register that is not true. I think that tells you a lot about what you understand about Lamada. Um, he's fundamentally irrational. Um, you could call it elemental. I mean jealousy is among the most irrational of motivations. Um he is, you know, Ebert, Ebert talks about him being kind of an Othello for our time, right? That uh he's 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 also a self-sabotager. Uh that when he gets what he wants, he immediately finds way to under, finds ways to undermine himself. So he achieves Vicky, but then he immediately falls into this pattern of jealousy, which undermines the relationship, even though there's, even though there's no basis for it. He's continually undermining his relationship with his brother. Uh, and and Joey takes it, keeps coming back until they finally reach that, uh, that, that breaking point. And of course, you know, in the final fight with Sugar Ray, um, he basically gives away the championship. Um, and, and, you know, you have to be aware of, you know, popular psychologizing, but I but I think that what he's doing is he's he's going through a lot of um he's punishing himself for being a way that he doesn't understand why he is so the scene towards the end of the film when he's checked into the jail and he pounds the wall and he says why 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 I mean to me that that tells me that Lamada is a mystery to himself. So how or why would a filmmaker try to explain that person? I mean, what Scorsese is trying to do is he's trying to show us the person that, that LaMotta was. So yes. it's, uh, I mean, the only way to understand LaMotta in a sense is, is externally. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's exactly what Scorsese is showing us. And, he, and you can draw your own conclusions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why does a man stand against the ropes and let, a, let another man beat him? Uh, I mean, LaMotta was famous for being able to take a punch. Mm -hmm. um and it's i
0: was amazed in 106 bouts he he got knocked down once
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and 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 yeah so it's it's a it's almost like you know it's it's a dare but at the same time is it a form of self punishment i mean the 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 scene before his first fight with sugar ray when he has vicky tease him and then and then immediately he tries to you know he he tries to um reduce his his own art the ardor that he's asked her to arouse um, you know, first of all, that suggests to me it took me back to um, took me back to Doctor Strangelove. Actually, that connection between sex and violence. So mm-hmm. in Doctor Strangelove, because Jack Ripper is impotent, you uh, you unleash nuclear bombs against Russia. Because Jake LaMotta is sexually conflicted, you go into the ring and beat people up. And if Lamada had a bomb, he'd probably drop that. So to me, it's that same elemental id versus ego versus super, super ego, to put it in kind of Freudian terms. What's
0: what's interesting is the uh the you talked about self-sabotage. And what it reminded me of is one of my favorite um one of my favorite authors, which I know I in college I read an article about Scorsese being a big Dostoevsky fan mm-hmm. and wanting to make wanting to make Dostoevsky novels into movies. And to me, that is the classic Dostoevsky character: is the person who who sort of life is in shambles and pulls it all together just to the point where they then sabotage it and destroy it. It happens in there's a character like that in almost every one of his books, and sometimes that's every character in his books to a certain degree. So I, re- as I was watching this this week, I thought, oh, here's this is this is a this is a Dostoevsky character, kind of to a certain degree, like like he can. Um, there's this there's this weird thing, you know. Um, where while he's a boxer, it it allows him to have a certain amount of, a certain amount of discipline to his life because he has to do that. Um, but and then we see when he's done boxing, we kind of see what happens to his life. Even in the physical transformation, we see, right. um, we see that, that the degree to which boxing was, um, the degree to which it was good for him in terms of ha- putting, ha- having some parameters
1: around what he um how he needed to live his life yeah yeah in that yeah and and that weight gain of course is foreshadowed early on when the scene when he's fooling around with the tv and he's obviously put some weight on and he's eating that sandwich and joey's kind of on him about that but you know to get back to scorsese and dust and, dus- and scorsese um along with hitchcock actually to to remember vertigo you know he's he's been identified as a you know a strongly catholic filmmaker uh, with a strong sense of of guilt, strong sense of the need for um, some kind of atonement. Uh, Scorsese himself at one point thought he might uh, might become a priest. Uh, so he's he's very attracted to that theme of human uh, sinfulness and uh, what we do to ourselves as, re- as a result of our our transgressions.
0: Um, so speaking of that, uh, this this film ends with a a scripture pa- a passage of scripture, um, and. I'm curious about your thoughts on that as the the sort of coda at the end or piece at the end.
1: Yeah, and I, I didn't I didn't remember that being at the end at all. Well, see, it's the thing I
0: remembered most. I remembered that and thinking, I how what am I uh, what am I supposed to do with that? I remember thinking that the first time I saw the movie and feeling like it felt very meaningful, but also like I was I struggled to that's the part that I wanted to hear somebody talk about you know
1: yeah i mean the 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 way i thought about it was that you know by the time la comes to write his memoir in 1970 and even the fact that la can can help with this film tells me that la has some kind of a there's been some kind of change in la since the events depicted in the film um and he himself uh you know reflecting on 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 the depiction of him in the film he says yeah i I, I wasn't a very good person back then. And uh, so I, I, to me, it's, it's sort of suggested that um, kind of, it, it's, it's a question you like, you like to ask about a lot of films, uh, Sam, which is what happens next? Like what happens after the film stops? And I think after the film stops, LaMotta somehow, I don't know if he's learned a lesson about himself or, or what it is, but I mean, I don't think that the Jake Lamata you see in fighting would have been capable of writing the memoir that became the film. So there's something that there's something that changes about lamada that he becomes somewhat more uh self self-aware, uh, gains some kind of insight of himself. At least that's the way I I interpreted it.
0: Speaking speaking of the changes in Lamata, um, one of the other things Pauline kale mentions, which also jumped out at me, and again, it's not, it's not, I don't look at it as like a problem with the film, but it's really interesting that when you see Lamata post-boxing career and he's a nightclub owner and has like a stand-up act and does monologues and it's like that doesn't seem like the person that we saw i mean the person we saw earlier in the film it's like the the person at the end seems like he's somebody who is craving the attention of others and he's like a kind of like a a pretty good talker even when he's off stage and he's like you know busting people's chops it's like it's like with that that's not the Jake Lamotta from Ursa so, so, so it is interesting, you know. And partially, I think this is leaning on the fact that this is based on on the real guy's life, you know. So, like, so what happens in him? Is there something in what drives him to fight that also drives him
1: later on to do these other things,
0: or is well, it a transformation?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's a really good point, Sam. I mean, I, I would not, I, I would not have been able to believe the last section of the film if i didn't know it was based on a a true story um because you don't see any in the lamada when he's a fighter you don't see any um verbal facility you don't see any interest in art uh, or literature um and and yeah you don't necessarily see any interest in the in the limelight he just wants he just wants to fight so i'm going to assume that part of what's going on is that um as with any really good work of art uh, Scorsese has decided what he wants to focus on in the first part of the film. Uh, and he just wants to know, he just wants us to see La Mata, um as the fighter, which means both in the ring and domestically. I mean, obviously there must've been more to his marriage with Vicky than arguing it all the time and cuffing her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, they had a life, they bought a house, they lived in suburbia, they ha- they raised children. I mean, there's lots more going on in, in his life, but Scorsese is just kind of like laser focused on only the incidents and only the, the uh, even only the fights that make, that help him to build the, the picture of this man who ultimately self destructs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for example, uh, you know, I, I had to go on Wikipedia to satisfy my curiosity about, well, what happened after he threw that fight? Because mm-hmm. um, all you do is you fast forward two years to his next fight. Well, he was suspended for seven months. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't of interest to what Chris says he was trying to show. So I don't know during those seven months that he read Shakespeare, do you go watch see you on the waterfront? I don't know. <laughs> right. Don't know. right.
0: Um, another, another scene or it's not a scene. It's a, it's a. Kind of a montage and that, that bridges parts of this movie that is, and this goes back to the, I think the great editing is the one time we move into color is yeah. these home movies. Yeah. Uh, and apparently when, uh, either either De Niro or Scorsese went and actually talked to Vicky Lamata. She showed him home movies yeah. and then they basically recreated those and it's such, a, that is such an amazing sequence both visually and in terms of the editing because it's intercut with, if I'm remembering correctly, still photographs from fights. Right, I don't think right. it's even video. I think it's just, it's still, so it's like we're seeing this sort of passage of time. We're seeing the development of this family. It's gorgeous to look at i I just like i I love i loved how much we got um sort of a different set of snapshots because like you said you know we don't get to see uh, many aspects of their marriage but but i feel like in those we get to see some little pieces and i thought that was
1: just really brilliant yeah and and scorsese physically scratched the the color film so it would look older because evidently it just he didn't want it to look too pristine so back in the days when people filmed on on celluloid they actually could physically do things to the film um as we're thinking about the uh
0: the acting performances de niro wins uh wins the best actor oscar for this um and i mean the other the other big thing that jumps out at this film is the uh and in what it's de niro is famous for is the physical transformation that he that he goes through um so i don't know that i appreciated that the first time that i saw yeah. it um and watching it now uh, and even even on the poster, you know, the poster is a a blown up shot of of sort of um, kind of headshot of Lamada in the ring, and then overlaid over that we have the older Lamata. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right now, and it's like I can't believe that that's the, the same human
1: being. I know, I know, I know. It's it's amazing. the 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 one thing I've forgotten though was what they had done with De Niro's nose. You know, because when he's the older Lamade, he's got that huge kind of nose. But then, even as the younger Lamade, they've made some they've made some changes to his nose. But no, I remember that really struck me the first time I saw the film because that that opening with De Niro, uh, I had a hard time convincing myself it was Robert De Niro. And even when you watch the last quarter of the film or so, when he's in that that stage, it's like it's hard to believe it's the same person, um, and and yet it is
0: yeah yeah i also thought in terms of performances um uh i again growing up in the 80s by the time i was sort of aware of films i was. i think joe pesci was kind of almost into self-parody mode yeah yeah,
1: you know so it was it was
0: it was was really great to see him i mean this is his first film really i think because i think he had done some tv work um, and that's where they discovered well, him, right? Well,
1: actually, actually, he was discovered by De Niro. He was in a B-movie that De Niro saw in New York. I can't remember the name of it now, but Pesci was in this B-movie. Um, I think it was called The Undertaker Undertaker, something like that. And he actually had gotten out of acting. Um, he was just too discouraged. And so De Niro was actually the one who kind of recruited him uh, for, for the film.
0: Mm-hmm. And I I was actually just kind of blown away by by him throughout the movie, especially the scene at the towards the end when we see the older uh the older Mm -hmm. joey um Mm -hmm. and he does he i don't know that he he almost doesn't say anything in that in that and it's you have jake sort of hounding him trying to get his attention trying to get him to forgive him trying to get him to you know and and i just there's something about that scene i just thought he was he was pretty remarkable in that and it's interesting thinking about watching um uh, the Irishman and seeing mm-hmm. like old Joe Pesci and to a certain degree, I feel like, Oh, it's like, it's like the Irishman Joe Pesci showed up in this. It was, yeah. It, it was very interesting to see that come kind of come full circle.
1: Well, there's, there, you know, there's two love stories in the film, right? There's, there's Jake and Bicky and there's Jake and Joey. Uh, and, and, and they're both about uh, breakups. Uh-huh. Um, and, and ultimately the, he just damages those relationships beyond, beyond reparation. I mean, I felt, I felt kind of bad because I, I felt like I should want them to reconcile, but I am kind of with Joey. <laughs> it's just hard to know how, I mean, how do you even forgive a brother for the things that he did and said?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is you sent the, um, the, uh, Jake Lamata um, obit, from the new york times uh so he lived to be 95 and this was when was this 2017 and joey was still alive it looks like in when when that um when that came out so they must have good genetics in that family to (laughs) to live uh to live such long lives but a couple interesting things from the obit um they have a picture of uh of lamada with the championship belt with vicky and i was struck by how much kathy moriarty looks like like it just It looks like the same person. I would, yeah, I would it,
1: believe. It's really, yeah, it's really striking.
0: Yeah, you know, if if you look at it really quickly, it I could be convinced that was a still from the film. Um, so that was that was pretty amazing. Um, and then they also have on that in the obit they have a link to um, footage of I think it's the last Lamada Robinson fight. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and so what was interesting about that is I was one of the things with boxing and movies is like, well, it they're they're filming this to make a good a good movie and it's like well that's not actually what boxing looks like right. and i was amazed watching robinson and lamada fight i was like actually they did a pretty good job of making it look um uh, making it look like even the styles of the fighters i felt uh between those two you know obviously there there are some things they're doing to, to to dramatize those things even more but um the the way that they shot the boxing kind of head on into the camera and they almost never or never give you the kind of view you're used to seeing on television the sort of spectator view of of the ring you're always in tight even if you're not even if it's not head-on you're always in tight um but lots of shots of staring you know uh lamada staring right down the barrel of the camera or robinson staring right down Mm -hmm. the barrel of the camera um i thought that was it was just it was amazing to look at uh and i think the the brutality comes across and it seems like scorsese was interested in in that there's stories of him going to fights to kind of prepare for this because like i said he wasn't interested in boxing and the things he noticed were um blood dripping from the um from the the ropes
1: Mm -hmm. and so there's a
0: scene where he puts that in there and the other is the uh the sponge getting Mm -hmm. so full of blood that the guy is basically getting washed down with blood uh later in the fight and he puts that in the movie as well and even that feels like sacramental or something there's something you know if if we're thinking about kind of religious religious things in this i mean that definitely uh wasn't lost on me
1: well he also um he also expressionistically changed the size of the ring Uh, sometimes the ring was larger sometimes it was smaller depending on how how it kind of um reflected or indicated jake's mood at the time whether he was winning a fight or whether he was losing a fight the, the other thing that I found interesting about how the, the boxing is filmed is that um, you're right. You get a lot of the, the brutality in most of the, the fights, but the, but the film opens with a beautiful uh, balletic image of, of Jake kind of warming up. And he's got that kind of wonderful haze, the the kind of thing that black and white does so well. Uh, and then it's a piece of classical music, which then gets repeated in the last fight. Uh, as, Sugar, as Sugar Ray is 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 beating him up, you get that same kind of very um, uh, classical sound, soundtrack. So it's it's interesting that um, Scorsese begins with that kind of romanticization of the, of boxing, mm-hmm. uh, and then kind of shifts to the reality of 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 the brutality of it.
0: Um, are there other things you want to talk about with this? Actually, there's one other thing I wanted wanted to ask about. So this is uh, one of the credited screenwriters for this, and this has a, a little bit complicated screenwriting yeah. um, background, is Paul Schrader, yeah. who um, wrote Taxi Driver, correct? He's mm-hmm. the, and mm-hmm. then he also made First Reformed, which we mm-hmm. watched. Um, so... Uh, how does this fit in with a connection to Paul Schrader in terms of, you know, we talked about Schrader and religion and kind of his view of film when, in First Reform. Now, that's a movie he wrote and directed. This is a movie he's one of the screenwriters on. But um, how, do you, how do you see Paul Schrader in this?
1: Well, you know, they, they, they brought Schrader in and actually in Ebert's review, Ebert gets this backwards. Um, they, they brought Schrader in after they had the first screenplay, which was evidently a rather straightforward adaptation of, of, the, of the memoir. Uh, and Schrader came in, as we already mentioned, he takes the friend out and puts Joey in. And then, as I already mentioned, he selected the fights that he wanted them to show. But, I mean, Schrader is somebody like Scorsese, although he comes from a Protestant rather than a Catholic tradition. He's somebody very interested, obviously, in flawed and conflicted heroes. So... Um, I mean, there's not a there's not a lot of difference in some ways between Travis Bickle uh, and and Jake Lomata. Uh and, mm-hmm. and I think it's pretty easy to see how the same screenwriter could imagine the same character. I mean, uh, jealousy is a is a type of paranoia, and that motivates both both Bickle and and Lamada. Uh, they're both driven by rage. They're both men that express themselves through through violence, um, and I think that's another interest of Schrader. Schrader is interested in um, moments of, of, of extreme behavior, whether it's extreme love or extreme extreme violence. And so uh, it seems to me a kind of a, of a, of a natural uh, arc for Schrader to follow. And actually between Taxi Driver and um, and uh, Raging Bull, Schrader wrote and directed Hardcore, uh, which is with George C. Scott, which is a, another film that kind of explores the seedy underbelly of human nature. And that's something that Schrader's really interested in.
0: Hmm. Um, last question that I have then is thinking about this as a, a biopic, as a, um, you know, story of a real person's life. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of curious, does what are other, if somebody, if somebody enjoyed this as a biopic, what other, what other biopics would you recommend that you think do a good job of not just, um, because you can you can do the, the 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 biopic where you're trying to sort of tell every everything about a person's life or you can do this is clearly you know trying to drill in on certain specific things to the point where some other and this is another thing Pauline kale wrote about was like certain questions you're you're you ask as a viewer and you just sort of realize the filmmaker's not interested in answering that question for you um so they're very you know kind of very different things but do you have other other uh biopics that jump out at you as as uh ones you particularly like that you think do a good job of that?
1: You know, that that's actually a good question, Sam, because uh, I, I struggle a bit with biopics at times because, um, you know, a biopic often has to make a choice between to what degree do I really try to recreate the look of this person? And so I was going to say that earlier when you talked about how much Kathy Moriarty looked like the real Vicky. Um, you know, so there's that that route of the biopic. You know, we want to make this person really look like the person they're depicting. Or do you just say, you know, uh, we're just gonna go with what the actor with the actor looks like. Um, so there's some biopics that I've stayed away from because I'm just not sure that I can buy the um mm-hmm. the effort to reproduce the person. So even though I really like Will Smith as an actor, for example, you asked me for recommendation, this is a non-recommendation. I've never watched Ollie. Uh, just because I grew up on Ali, I mean, I, I'm that age. I grew up on, on on the real Muhammad Ali and the real Howard Cosell, and I just didn't feel like I could I could take it. Um, but I think, uh, but I think a really good biopic uh, is Malcolm X uh, to kind of kind of kind of get back to Spike Lee. Um, that's one I I really like. Um, another sort of biopic because it focused on one part of the person's career or life would be Selma, uh, the recent Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, film. Um, those are the two that come immediately to mind. I'm sure I'll think of five others when uh, sure. when, when, when we're gone. But I, but I, but I struggle. Another biopic. I again I struggle with is Shadowlands uh, because Anthony Hopkins is so unlike C.S. Lewis uh, physically that it's very difficult for me. Even though it's a great film, uh, it's very difficult for me to to be able to take it as as actually C.S. Lewis.
0: Certainly, certainly. Uh, other and I put you on the spot with that, so you did well. You did well.
1: Um, uh, anything else you want to talk about with this movie? Well, two two things. Um, one thing, which is a very small thing, but I pride myself on on this achievement. I don't know if you noticed in the uh, in the scene when Joey and Jake go to the nightclub to so Jake can make connection with Vicky. I don't know if you noticed an uncredited John Turturro uh, sitting at one of the, sitting at one of the tables. Wow,
0: he he's officially the person who's appeared in the most video store movies, and he's in yet another one. Really, so, I didn't know I, that.
1: I, I, and it's only like a three-quarter shot, and he's down in the left-hand corner of the screen. And I saw him, and I said to myself, it's got to be John Turturro. And just, just, just so you know, I have a track record of doing this. There's an uncredited appearance of tony curtis in a 1947 film called crisscross with uh, kirk douglas and i and i watched this nightclub scene and i saw this guy dancing and i said it's got to be tony curtis so so anyway now that i'm over that um i guess the other thing i would just mention uh and maybe it seems obvious uh, sam that we haven't talked about it but i just think scorsese's choice to um to shoot the film in black and white mm. um which is really, I think, significant for a number of reasons. Um, maybe the most obvious one is one that, that he shares with Hitchcock and Psycho. Uh, Hitchcock shot Psycho in black and white spe- specifically for one reason. Uh, and that is he didn't want to shock the audience with the blood, with the red blood going down the drain. Because no, I think he regarded that as a cheap shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and as Scorsese uh, supposedly had the same motivation for this film, with all the blood that's flying around, you, uh, rather than being shocked by the kind of technicolor element of that red blood, you see it much more just as a, as a body fluid, and it's still shocking, but not, not quite the same. There's also the fact that he makes those, those films, those, those boxing scenes, look a lot like the 1940s and 50s television broadcasts. Mm-hmm. So even though we know people in the 40s and 50s didn't live in black and white, uh, that is often our image of, of what that era looks like. So I think that was an effort at, at uh, verisimilitude. And some more of the verisimilitude is, involves the fact that many of the, uh, many of the, the actors in the film, like the, some, some of the, the announcers, the referees, the cornermen, uh, they were actually real. Uh, that really is who they were. In fact, Lamada's own cornerman was actually as, as a cornerman in, in the film. So there's a lot of authenticity that you're going for there. The other factor might be that, as we said earlier, Rocky had kind of started a trend in 76. There was Rocky II. Um, there were several other uh, boxing films coming out at the same time. The main event, The Champ, uh, Matilda with a boxing kangaroo. Uh, and and these were all in, in color. And so I think, in a sense, Chris says he wanted this film to kind of stand out as, as different from that. Well, I, I also... also Go ahead. Just one more bit of movie trivia. Um, I was surprised to discover that actually, uh, De Niro has only been nominated for Best Actor uh, four times, uh, and this was his only win as Best Actor. Um, previously, he did not win Best Actor in '76 for Taxi Driver because he lost to Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the cooker's Nest. So, how do you choose between those two right performances? Seriously. Right.
0: Yeah. Um going back to the 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 choice to not shoot in color. I also feel like it makes this movie feel timeless to a certain degree. I mean if I go back and watch a film from uh from 1980 uh there the 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 kind of color you see there yeah. affects that and 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 I and I don't know if that was a if that was a conscious choice but but it this also just feels like like a timeless movie like I feel like this could be right now this could come out
1: yeah yeah I think that's a good point I mean the, sometimes the color in the earlier especially the earlier color films strikes one as almost garish as mm-hmm. um, much as I love vertigo that color the color in that film is really over the top in, in, mm-hmm. in, in that sense so I think but actually, I think that's it really, actually works in vertigo I, I think it works, it works in it, vertigo I mean, yeah. I mean Vertigo wouldn't work in black and white and psycho wouldn't work in color so mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah I also love the way that it punctuates those home movie scenes that, yeah. that they those right. jump out in a kind of way uh, and demand you to look at them, you know, because that is the kind of thing where it could just be okay, they're just this is their version of the pages in the calendar flipping by so we can move ahead, but instead it's actually like one of my favorite sequences in the movie. I think yeah. it's really I think it's really amazing.
1: I should also add that Scorsese also used some of the real radio broadcasts uh, to add to the authenticity
0: Great. So, uh, so what do you have for us next week?
1: Well, I am going to stay on the black and white theme. I'm going to stay Thanks. in 1980. Uh, we're going to, I foreshadowed this last week. Um, we're going to do the other big film in 1980 that also was nominated for eight Academy awards. And that's, um, David Lynch's, uh, the elephant man, I which I've have- I, I not been back to in many years. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the excuse to watch it again. I'm and, so excited. And and there's a Criterion disc that just came out of, of of The Elephant Man, so that's the, my other excuse for uh, for using it. Nice. I
0: will tell this story again next week, but I'm excited because I have not seen this movie since, I think, 1984. Right. If you do the math, I was seven years old and probably oh, shouldn't have seen this movie when I was seven years old, but I, I'm going to do a little bit of research to see if I can actually pinpoint when this aired on TV um, because I, cause I have some other events in my life, so i like, know it's 84 or 85. Like, I know some other things that were happening in my life that i could i can probably pinpoint the day that i saw this i'm gonna see if i can pull that off but this movie haunted me i haven't seen it since and i'm so excited to see it (laughs) all right barrett thank you so much for uh for recommending this film and for talking talking with me about it i i feel like this second viewing um really solidified some things that I, i think my first viewing of it 10 15 years ago it was um uh a pretty sort of visceral experience. I'm like, I, th- I think I really I remember thinking to myself, I think I really like this. I think mm-hmm. this was great. Now I feel like some of that stuff has solidified a little more and I can start to understand myself, here's why I think this was really great, why this was really interesting. So um so I really appreciate that. I recommend that Pauline Kale essay it was it was mm-hmm. really great. I'm gonna be rereading that and and thinking through that. Um thank you for listening for uh for joining on Joining us on this adventure, we will be back next week to talk about the 1980 David Lynch film, The Elephant Man in the Video Store.